Hi, and welcome to the Ministry Network Podcast. I'm your host, James Baird. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Derek Thomas. Dr. Thomas is the Senior Minister of First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. He's also the Chancellor's Professor of Systematic and Pastoral Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary. Today, Dr. Thomas will share with us his journey into Christian ministry and his advice for pastors. The Ministry Network podcast is sponsored by Westminster Theological Seminary. To learn more about their new online offerings, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree. Now, let's talk with Dr. Thomas. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us here on Ministry Network. Uh, James, it's a pleasure and an honor to, to be here. We are so thankful to hear from your advice and your wisdom today. We have a lot of fun questions set up, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your content. Thank you. Me too. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your journey into Christian ministry? Sure. I'm 67, so I'm talking about something that's almost 50 years ago. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I grew up in Wales in the United Kingdom. So I was born in 1953, less than a decade after the Second World War. That generation that that came through the war and out on the other side did not attend church. They, They identified with churches and my parents identified with, with the church, but they never went. And so uh, I did not uh, receive any sort of formal religious instruction of any kind. My home was uh, secular. As a teenager, I was in the 60s. And so it was 18 before I heard the gospel. And actually, I didn't so much hear it as read it. I was a student at University in Wales in Aberystwyth studying applied mathematics and physics. And my best friend in high school had become a Christian. We were at different universities studying more or less the same thing. And he sent me in the mail a copy of John Stott's Basic Christianity. And I read it. And on December the 28th in 19. Uh, 71, I got on my knees and I prayed some bizarre prayer, Lord, if you exist and I don't know that you do, I need to be saved. And it was as unstructured and untheological as that. But I knew immediately when I got off my knees, I, I knew something had happened, something, and I couldn't explain it. I told my mother that I'd been saved and she called the doctor and he made a house call and he prescribed me some tranquilizers, which I didn't take. And then went back to university and discovered the Christian Union, InterVarsity Fellowship Christian Union. And as it happened, this was a reformed, largely reformed group of college students, majorly influenced by Jeff Thomas, who was a graduate of Westminster Seminary. And that's how I came to faith, by reading John Stott's Basic Christianity. Your question, I think, was about how did I become a preacher, I guess. And I quickly grew and in my third year at university, and then I did an extra year studying something else after graduation for a year. 
I was the president of the Christian Union at the university and had actually been elected a deacon at Alfred Place Baptist Church, where Jeff Thomas was the minister. And I think I could say within a year of being converted, I felt a call to the ministry. And I, I had a very stereotypical view of what that would look like. It was a minister in a congregation, a preacher. I think these days, ministry can mean a whole lot more things, uh, especially in multi-staff churches. But at that time, and particularly in the UK, uh, a call to the ministry was, was a very stereotypical scenario. And in 1976, I got married, and that's an interesting story in itself. I met Sam Patterson and Dick DeWitt at a Banner of Truth conference in Easter of that year. And they were talking about Reformed Theological Seminary, and I'd never heard of it. The only seminary that I knew of that was Reformed uh, was Westminster Seminary. And I had made tentative attempts to sort of see if Westminster was possible. And, but in Britain at that time, there was very little. There's a lot more today, but there was very little by way of a Reformed education for ministry. And I just happened to meet these two people, and I got a letter in the mail about three weeks later offering me a scholarship to go to Jackson, Mississippi. And I called Sam Patterson on the telephone. You know, there was no internet or anything. And I said, there's only one problem. I've been dating this girl, uh, Rosemary, now for three years, and I'm not sure I'm ready to leave for three years and leave her behind. And Sam Patterson said, well, marry the girl and bring her with you. So, so that, was, uh, that was May. We got married in July, and 14 days later, we were in Jackson, Mississippi. Wow. Praise the Lord. And that's how Welshman ended up in Jackson, Mississippi. Yes. And then uh, when I graduated, I came back to Britain. I had changed from Baptist to Presbyterian, both in ecclesiology and in the sacrament. And so the Baptists didn't want me, and the Presbyterians didn't know who I was, so I, I ended up teaching in a high school for a year, and then I was called to a church in Belfast, Strandmullis Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and I was there for 17 years. And currently, you're the pastor at, could you tell us about your church? First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. I've been here for nine years, seven years as the senior minister, but before that, two years as the minister of teaching uh, along with Sinclair Ferguson, whom I think Westminster folk will know. Yes, that's right. He'll be joining us for an interview soon as well. Oh, good. Well, Dr. Thomas, in your own pastoral ministry, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced and how have you navigated them? Well, of course, the answer to that is COVID-19. This is the biggest challenge I've ever faced in over 40 years of ministry, and I have very few answers. So, our congregation here is 3,000 members. Maybe 2,500 of them are sort of active members and not housebound. And some of our members live far away, but they're still in membership here. But plan to come back is immensely complicated. It was relatively easy to get into this, but getting out of it is problematic because we are on the sort of concert hall plan. And there is no concert hall plan just yet. So I, I know that there are churches trying to come back this week as we record this and many more next week, but we aren't remotely ready for that. To come back, we would need 10 services 
And that's 10 cleaning crews in between the services. And I have no idea how that works. So it's been a very difficult, stressful time trying to minister to everyone during a pandemic. But I guess that wasn't the question you were asking. And I think the biggest challenge that I have in ministry is me. It's my sinful nature. It's Romans 7, the good that I would, I do not, the evil that I would not, that I find I do, or Paul in Galatians, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the, the flesh. And it's the I in sin, as we say. You know, it's my pride or my ego or my point of view or my capacity for laziness knows no limit. So the biggest challenge is me and motivating, gospel motivating myself for ministry every day. And the challenge doesn't really get any easier. You know, at 67, I still feel I'm in the same place that I was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And I, you know, I wish I'd made the progress in sanctification that I, that I hoped to make. Uh, but it's, every day is a battle. But I suppose the challenges outside of me that challenge me personally the most are, you know, when Christians fight, disagreements, hostility, dealing with, you know, elders that have a very strong point of view and they are not going to back down. And I find those kinds of situations very difficult. I instinctively walk away from them. And uh, they're seasonal, they're not every day or every month, or for that matter, every year, but there have been those episodes in ministry fairly consistently in the three churches where I have ministered, and in Belfast, and then when I returned to Jackson to teach at the seminary in 1996, I also became the minister of teaching with Ligon Duncan at first prayers in, in Jackson for 16 years. And... So in all three areas, all three churches, I've known those, those very stressful, awkward battles, and they're not fun. I think those struggles every pastor resonates with at some level. Are there any tactics or practices over the years that you've found have helped you navigate, even though every situation is unique? Are there any common behaviors that might help a pastor come through the other side well, it depends on the nature of the difficulty, but, you know, I bless God every day that I'm a Presbyterian. So at the end of the day, I don't make decisions. I may contribute to decisions, but it's the elders that make decisions. And, and I'm surrounded by, you know, 50 or 60 elders. The collective wisdom is immense. And so being able to work with and alongside your elders is very important to me. You know, I think there's a nuance of a difference between, say, a PCA church and an ARP church, which is what I'm in at the minute. And the ARP church, I think, is a three-office polity, and PCA is a two-and-a-half-office polity. And the ruling elder, perhaps in PCA circles, especially in the South, are much more dominant than perhaps in typical ARP churches, but it's only a nuance of a difference, I think. But to surround yourself with wise elders in periods of stress and difficulty is 
immensely gratifying and helpful, and to trust them. You've done some significant scholarly work on John Calvin, and I'm wondering what can pastors today learn from the way that Calvin approached preaching? Well, I love that story in Calvin's life, and I wish, I wish we actually had more details of it than we actually do. In the summer of 1541, when he returns from Strasbourg to Geneva, that very first Sunday, he picked up exactly at the place where he had left off three and a half years before. And rather than, you know, exercise some pride and say, you know, I told you so, you needed me after all, he said nothing at all about himself. He just did what he was doing three and a half years before in the next segment of, I think it was the prophecy of Isaiah that he was in. And, and that says a lot about Calvin's view of ministry and his view of preaching. So the lecture continuous style of preaching that Calvin engaged in, preaching through books, so 159 sermons on Job, for example. Now, I, th I think it's very important to remember that Calvin was in a unique position, at least unique to us, because in the course of two weeks, he had 10 preaching moments, you know, and if we only have a morning service, you've only got one for every nine or 10, you know, so he's preaching 10 times the, the number of sermons that you and I are if we only have a Sunday morning service. And even if we have a Sunday evening service, he's still doing five times as much preaching as you or I are doing. And I think what that means is that if, if in the course of 12 to 13 days, you have 10 sermons, you can do what he did, and you could preach Old Testament during the week, New Testament on Sundays, and sprinkle in a few psalms, right? And you can, in the course of 20 years ministry, which is what he had, you can preach almost through the entire Bible. Now, if on the other hand, as one very famous Puritan did and preached on Job lecture continuous style, consecutive expository style for 23 years. I mean, that's unfathomable to me, that you can go away for 20 years and come back and he's still preaching the book of Job. And, and that's unfathomable to me. But, you know, Calvin took very small sections, sometimes just two or three verses, at most 10 verses. And he preached a good 50 to 55 minutes and of course, he did it all without notes, and he, he just had a copy of the Hebrew or Greek text before him. Of course, he'd studied that morning for the lunchtime, the midweek preaching times, but and preaching in a very common French style. There are no great theological terms in Calvin's sermons, much less than you'd think if you haven't actually read them. And I think that we are probably in a slightly different uh, position. I, I have, in throughout my entire ministry, I've always been in a church that has an evening service. And that means that you can do different things. You can do Old Testament in the morning and New Testament at night or vice versa, and you can do Psalms midweek or, or whatever. You can do different things. And you can do the occasional, you know, topical sermon. Now, my view on topical sermons is you preach once a year and then you immediately repent. And I know that there are differences of opinion about this, and there are very famous Reformed writers who are not in favor of lecture continuer preaching. But I think that in an age that is increasingly 
losing information about the Bible. We are biblically illiterate in our culture that I think that preaching consecutively through books is probably one of the ways that you instruct people on the content of Scripture. The result is your congregation gets that whole Bible theology, which is wonderful. Yes, yes. And you're forced into preaching on things that you don't actually want to preach on. And there's a lot of that. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Dr. Thomas. In the meantime, you can visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree to learn about the new online offerings available at Westminster Theological Seminary.